You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. I'm beginning today's episode with a little thought after I've just recently completed a book, The Anatomy of Peace, which is written by the Arbinger Institute. Remove the title society gives people. This includes social groups, political groups, and religious groups, any other way that you might categorize or box people, and see people through the lens of an open heart. What you will learn is more about that individual, who that person is, not the image that you have or other people have made, which comes with that particular title. And welcome to episode number 237. Today's guest is Jocelyn Stokes, who's a wildlife conservationist and is executing her mission and passion through film and photography. Jocelyn has and still is traveling the world, documenting the impact of wildlife conservation. Her first film was made using VHS tape. Just to give you an idea of how long she's been doing this. And now, Jocelyn has upgraded to digital. Way to go, Jocelyn. While traveling the world and filming, Jocelyn has the unique opportunity to connect with people in these communities, where those communities are tied to the wildlife. They have a very strong connection. You can feel Jocelyn's passion for her work, and along with her passion, Jocelyn's gonna share with us a very interesting experience. Jocelyn, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's lovely to be able to have some time while you are um, on the ground and have a few moments to get to speak with you. Yes, thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Well, I start every episode with people sharing their connection to Jackson Hole, whether born and raised or transitioned and moved here at some point in their life. So let's start off. Jocelyn, where were you born and raised and, and how did you land in Jackson? So I actually was born and raised in the desert in Arizona. And as growing up there, I sort of always dreamed about lusher places. And that sort of brought me into working a lot in the rainforest because I am very keen on wildlife, wildlife conservation. And so studying wildlife biology and uh, science communication and things like that brought me into the rainforest because of the highest levels of biodiversity. And then when the pandemic happened, most of the work that I was doing in different places around the world sort of came to a standstill because it wasn't possible to, to work on those projects. But I had a really incredible invitation to come help film grizzly bears in the Tetons. And I had not spent very much time there. And so I landed there to work on capturing some natural history of grizzly bears. And it really only took probably about a week for me to pretty much fall in love with Jackson, as most people who visit 
<laughs> the Tetons. That's that's pretty much the case. Um, but I was also really fortunate to be offered an incredible position working as a naturalist guide in Jackson. And so I fell into that wonderful family. And now I'm working with the Jackson Hole Wildlife Safaris fam. And uh, this will be my third year with them. And we lead just the most incredible wildlife expeditions in the national parks. So I am really lucky to be able to live and work in the greater Teton, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and share my enthusiasm about wildlife and natural world with everyone who visits and everyone who lives in that area. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're here and that you get to share that passion with people. Let's start with what was it like filming grizzly bears? Because those things are not, they're big, they look cuddly, but they're known, <laughs> they're known to be a little aggressive. So, so I'm curious how, where were you doing this as well here in the area? Yeah. Well, I've filmed grizzly bears in the Tetons and uh, outside of the National Parks as well, but in the Tetons and Grand Teton National Park and also in Yellowstone National Park. And of course, they are not the easiest animals to film, but they're not the most challenging animals to film either. I mean, I was just filming tigers in Nepal and they, are, they really give you a run for your money. Huh. <laughs> I thought grizzly bears were really challenging, you know, like, but a lot of their time sort of with their face to the ground eating grass so it takes some patience to get interesting natural like behavior of course the most fun time to film grizzlies i think most people would agree are when they come out with their cubs <laughs> this time of year and after they wake up from hibernation so those little baby bears are pretty enchanting and that was when I first started filming, I was filming a lot with 399 because she had her quadruplets at that time, which was pretty exciting. And as most people are aware, she's the most famous grizzly bear in the world. And we had people from all over the world wanting to see her and really excited every time she came out. So there would be big groups of people following her around and so excited to see her. So it was a mixture of being patient and finding her and then when she did come out sort of navigating a lot of sort of <laughs> traffic which is a unique thing that it was exciting to learn about in this area we have bear jams mm -hmm. which most people are like what's a bear jam <laughs> literally a traffic jam that is revolving around a bear <laughs> and so learning a lot about that culture and Another unique part of that experience, which was really special for me, was meeting the community of people that we have in this area who are all so excited and enthusiastic about our wildlife. And so that actually was what made me feel the most at home because I finally felt like, oh, there's there's other people who are fanatics about filming and, and documenting wildlife. And look, they're all here. They found my people. So I got to really meet a lot of people that I'm really excited to be in community with. Did you make it into the thoroughfare to look for any grizzly bears and spend a little bit of time in the backcountry? That is so high on my list. I will get out there. I guarantee you. I have not yet, but I will. I will. 
Absolutely. Okay. I have a buddy who was a ranger for the Forest Service. He was a packer and he would go out for 14 days and yep, they would uh, get to see some grizzly bears. Wow. I bet they had some close encounters with grizzly bears. Um, would you go out there? I have not been out into the thoroughfare. I've heard it is absolutely magnificent. It's one of the most remote places in the lower 48 states to get into. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you want to see the world as it was created, that's where you go. Well, we might have to go out there then. We may have to make a trip. Sounds good. All right. I I I would love to get out there. <laughs> I'll carry your camera yeah. for you. Whatever need. Okay. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh my gosh. You have no idea how helpful that is. So you you got to film three nine nine and Yes. And is what you filmed out to where people can enjoy your patience of what you captured? Yes. I believe so. I think it was a part of a bigger production um, oh, okay. that was out. But I do have some stuff that we've worked on with Jacksonville Wildlife Safaris. So that'll be out on their website and my website. But yeah, we worked a little bit with, yeah, the short answer. Yes, it's part of a bigger production. Okay. And yeah. With you growing up in Arizona in the desert, and you've you've now mentioned how you are very much passionate. You're very passionate about wildlife conservation. Where did that come from? I mean, I, I get the part about living in the desert. There's not a lot of green. It happens like for a few weeks <laughs> in the springtime. But where did this passion come from? I think I always was pretty interested in in wildlife and animal behavior. Even just watching like geckos in the desert and rattlesnakes and just being out in the natural world was pretty exciting to me. But then I think I sort of had an innate sort of desire to help protect the natural world as well. And I made my first rainforest conservation film in the seventh grade and not in VHS, if y'all remember what those VHS tapes were like. And it was something that just always made a lot of sense to me was our connectedness with the natural world. And that if we wanted to be healthy and thriving, that we would also need to be protecting the natural world as well. And so I wanted to find a way that I could participate in that. How, how beautiful. And yes, I do remember VHS. And I also remember Beta, <laughs> Betamax. Oh, yeah. Which was just yeah. a little bit before that VHS. Yeah. That was when we actually had to you know, get the scissors out and cut and cut film together, I think, to yeah. make it happen. That's right. Yeah. And that's where the original term A and B came from. When you're filming, you have your B roll and your A roll. Uh-huh. Right? Huh. That makes sense. And we still use that. Yeah, we still use that. So we'll say, oh, we're going to get to B roll. It's digital now, but. Yeah. That's where that came from. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And in the beginning, you said that you were just in Nepal filming lions? Uh, tigers. Tigers. Tigers in Nepal. And rhinos. And, and bears. Ooh, oh, my. Beautiful. <laughs> well, what took you there? Other than the filming, but. 
Yeah, that is what that's what that's what brought me there. Uh, I has been really interested in focusing on conservation success stories. I think that especially uh, at this day and age, it's really important for us to see that there are solutions for wildlife conservation being enacted and that they are working. And so I really want to highlight those success stories. And Nepal is an incredible success story. And they've been the first country to triple their tiger population uh, over the course of the last 10 years. And so now they have this really healthy, wonderful tiger population. They've also been able to increase their rhinoceros, one, one horned one horned greater rhinoceros population. And so I was there filming uh, natural history with rhinos and tigers and Nepal's first woman nature guide. Mm. And she was really helpful in their conservation efforts to bring those numbers up. And so we were telling the story of this incredible woman. Her name is Doma Patel. And then also filming the tigers and rhinos in their natural habitat. Well, you're describing it as very simple. There's definitely some more detail to what you experience (laughs) and what Nepal has done. And I know you don't want to let the cat out of the bag because you're working on a production, but offer us a little bit of teaser here for what are some things you got to experience and the people that you met, um, like the first woman wildlife guide. So please do share a little bit. It was, like you said, anything but simple. Nepal is, I have to say, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of really wild places in the world. And Nepal is probably one of the most wild places I have ever been, which is not what people I think a lot of times typically think of when they think of Nepal, they think of mountains. They don't necessarily think of rhinos and tigers and bears, but it is a very, very wild place. And when while we were there, there were, I want to say 10 people that were killed by wildlife interactions. Whoa. And we were there for a month. And so pretty much the first week we were there, that at Taurus was killed by an elephant, a wild elephant. And then while we were filming tigers, there was two women that were killed by tigers. And so I'm saying that because it is showing how integrated people are with the wildlife populations in in that country. And it's it's very real. So I think that it's it's something that is a very calm sort of almost a commonplace situation in there but when we hear about it in states we think oh my gosh that's that's you know that's unheard of we don't think about that happening on a regular basis but the nepalese people they in this especially in this area they live so close to the national parks and they utilize the resources around the national parks and so this is a part of their life their lives are very much affected by wildlife so we had you know while you're filming and working in the field for you know 12 hours a day you're always thinking about the fact that you're surrounded by these animals that you you may or may not have been a violent encounter with and we definitely had a couple of 
moments where I was a little bit nervous. Definitely had some moments where we were encountered by rhinoceroses. Luckily, we had really great local guides who always, always, always work with local guides. Local guides are the best. You should always, if you're out in the wilderness area where you are not familiar with an environment, animals behavior, you know, a species behavior, you should always be with a local guide because that's the safest way to go. And you learn the most. But we had really wonderful local guides that would help us sort of determine whether or not we were in a safe situation or not. And so I really trusted them. But we definitely had some moments where, you know, like a rhinoceros would come really close to us while we were filming. And I definitely was a bit nervous at some points. And then we had a moment where, oh my gosh, we had been trying to film a tiger for days. And this is, you know, 12 hour days, you're in the mud, you're on the ground, it's either pouring rain or blazing sun, and you're just out there ready to shoot at a moment's notice, but also just having to be patient and wait and wait and wait and wait. And we'd done that for days. And this is like day three, we've been out there for 10 hours. And so we have to head back, you have to get out of the park before night falls. That's the rule. We're heading out. Of course, after 10 hours of waiting to see a tiger, as we're driving out of the park, all of a sudden our guy goes, oh, tiger, tiger, tiger. And there's a male and a female tiger right in front of us. And so I got to film this male and female walking down this road right in front of us. Hmm. And then as soon as we, they turn the corner, we're like, okay, we'll try to get, try to go forward a little bit and, uh, and follow them, get some more footage of them. But I think that we, by doing that, we separated them. It's mating season. And this female tiger, this is her territory, and she's known for being uh, pretty aggressive. Um, and so she, I think she was pretty upset that we might have separated them during their courtship. And so as we turn the corner, she is hiding in this ditch, sort of waiting for us to come out in these open Jeeps, you know, we're pretty exposed. You're up high in a Jeep, but you're, it's open. And all of a sudden we hear this, she roars, which I have never been more stuck in mm. life. And then lunges forward up in front of the Jeep and runs across the road right in front of us in a split second. And we all just look at each other, just completely shook the guide he works with tigers every day for years and he said he'd never been so scared in his life <laughs> so we definitely had some some moments that really helped uh reminded us that you know who is the boss <laughs> in these situations she was not happy that you were disturbing her moment no no she did not like that at all and i didn't manage to film it it happened so quickly but we did get a quick snapshot of of her roaring at us and lunging at the jeep. It was terrifying. Ter tigers are terrifying. <laughs> so the the incredible sound, entire terrifying. Could you just could you were there? Could you feel Ooh. it? Oh, I've my my soul shook. I, it stayed in my soul for the rest of the night. I could not. Huh. I I will never forget that the sound of a tiger roaring at you in the wild is the most terrifying sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh I, i've never heard anything that dear they are so fierce we are so not equipped to <laughs> to defend ourselves against tigers 
And when you say the Nepalese people, they live closely with this wildlife, my guess is the parks, you can only build such a large fence. But I mean, the animals are, do people just see them roaming the rhinoceroses and the elephants roaming around their, their neighborhood of where their village is? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. So yes. people don't have many pets or do they? Oh, there are pets. There are pets. But it's just a different way of living. And I think that I walked away feeling so much respect for the way that they coexist with wildlife. And they're really trying to do it in a harmonious way. And that sort of juxtaposed against the way that, say, we in, in Teton County live with you know, grizzly bears and mountain lions and wolves. And uh, I, I really do feel like we could do a much better job coexisting with our wildlife and seeing the way that they interact with wildlife and try to maintain harmony with their wildlife in Nepal was really honorable. And uh, they just put out a news article about film work that I was doing while I was in Nepal. And I got the English translation of the Nepalese article. And the Nepalese article said that I was filming a tiger that had killed like 18 people. And I didn't realize that. I don't know. I don't know how close. I don't know how accurate that is. But the fact that there would be a tiger that they knew had killed 18 people roaming around in the national park. Can you even imagine if there was a grizzly bear that had killed 18 people in our national park? I don't think it would live past two. Past one. I mean, we kill our grizzly bears even for getting into a trash can. Right. Let yeah, alone true. harming a person. And and I'm not saying that that's, uh, there's, I'm not saying, you know, right or wrong, what the right or wrong situation is. But the fact that they are working on trying to have harmonious relationships with these animals, despite the fact that they are predators, and it's really challenging to respect that human populations are growing and also wildlife populations are growing which is really beneficial to human populations because we need them to keep our ecosystems healthy i just think that uh it's it's really interesting and honorable way of trying to honor all creatures if that makes sense it, it does make sense and it makes you think it makes you think y yeah and I can certainly see how the tiger population has tripled since they began their efforts. How long did it take for that population to triple? It, it was 2010 when they made the commitment to really focus on that. And that was a very comprehensive effort. That was a, the effort of the government agencies. The Army actually has a huge part in protecting the national parks. That was the community surrounding the national parks working together to do anti-poaching patrols on a regular basis, which they still do. And that was nonprofit organizations doing all sorts of advocacy and education programs. So that was like a group effort that they are still working on. I mean, it, it worked. And it's such a beautiful example of how... If you can bring government agencies, nonprofits, and community together to try and, and be, you know, stakeholders working collaboratively towards working on conservation, it can be a success. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious 
to learn, and we can do this right after our break, but what I want to learn is what were the impacts and the changes that these communities saw as the tiger and rhino populations increased? So, so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and have that side of the conversation. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce, aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County, ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Change begins with each of us, one day at a time. Jocelyn, welcome back. And thank you. I'm thrilled that you're here to talk about your interaction with a tiger in Nepal and I wish I could feel what you felt just to be able to assimilate. I've never been that close with a wild animal to know what it would feel like to hear it roar. What an experience. And with Nepal's conservation efforts of rebuilding their tiger population and their rhinoceros population, I'm very mm -hmm. curious to know what were some other things that the area saw on the environment side, the benefits of allowing those populations to come back? So I love that question so much. There are obviously a lot of natural benefits for having predator, healthy predator populations, keeping the entire ecosystem intact. Similar to what we have seen in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, where having healthy populations of wolves has helped maintain the elk populations, and therefore we have healthy fish populations and songbird populations. So that sort of, it's called a tropic cascade, where the apex predator helps to keep all of the other levels of, of the ecosystem in balance. And so having tiger populations helps keep their entire ecosystem healthy. And so they've seen that. And then there's also been a really healthy economic benefit where people from all over the world who are also interested in seeing these incredible animals. I mean, most animals are beautiful, but tigers, wow. <laughs> that is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in the natural world is a tiger walking in its natural habitat. Just mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing. And anyone who's interested, please, please, please take the time to do that. But so people want to come, they come from all over the world to see the tigers. And so that is the ecotourism and, you know, the, all of the businesses that are associated with bringing people in and hosting them and welcoming them in their country benefit from that. So then all the proceeds from that benefits the communities that are surrounding these national parks. So the schools get funding and the hospitals get funding and the infrastructure gets funding. And so the community sees, oh, wow, by protecting our natural resources, we are having an, an economic gain. And that's 
really, really helpful for a country that is is developing. And so it's, you know, they feel a very strong sense of pride in having those animals in their country and having those populations grow because they know that people from outside of Nepal are seeing that as a positive effort in the world and protecting endangered species. Such a big win for yeah for for that area for for the whole country as well huge huge win so commendable and i really think that it's important for us to look at that as an example now can you share with us this project that you're working on how and is there a name for it or where and when we will get to see this Yes. So the film is a documentary series about women-led wildlife conservation solutions around the world. And it will be coming out within the next year. We are very much in the middle of the production stage right now. But the the name for the series is Her Wild Life. Hmm. And I'll be sharing a lot more about that on our social media platforms. So on my social media platform, and we are working with the International League of Conservation Photographers, and my co-producer uh, is Katie Schuler, and she is at Coral and Oak Productions, and I'm at Wild and Stoke Productions. So that will be coming out soon. That will be really, really exciting. Lots of an amazing stories of incredible real world legendary women around the world who are conserving our endangered species and our wild places. Do you have more filming to do around the world before, or are you completed on your filming? We have so much more. We are slated to work in Costa Rica, filming really beautiful work being done with sloths, conservation work with sloths. And um, we're also going to be filming in Sumatra coming up soon. And we have a couple of other slated locations, unconfirmed, but there are so many incredible stories that we hope to be sharing soon. So you're on the road a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of part of the gag. We got to go out there and, and be filming in these areas. Luckily, I also get to spend a chunk of time guiding in our national parks in in the Tetons too so I get to have both and when you're when you're away how do you create a home feeling that's a good question I guess I try to stay in touch with our with people in the community around the world well we're when we're out and so we have a really beautiful community in Jackson that I stay in touch with and I usually bring some snacks or coffee or something that I really like from home. <laughs> so at least I have that little uh, reminder. Huckleberry jam. And yeah, a little bit of that, a little coffee, uh, maybe some snake river roasting. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Shout out to snake river roasting. Best coffee. Founded by and a woman, Ruzan Petrov. Started by Ruth. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. My favorite. Yeah, I guess I guess that's that's kind of how I do that. Look at pictures of uh, of bears from back home. <laughs> when you hear about people 
here in the U.S. and their interactions say, hey, we're going to put our kid in front of the buffalo or on the buffalo. Would people in Nepal ever think of trying to do something like that? I'm going to put my kid on the rhinoceros or walk up to the elephant and take a picture standing next to it. Or those the ones that are um, part of the tick marks of no longer in existence? <laughs> I think, you know, well, I think most of the people that don't quite understand uh, wildlife behavior and the safety protocol around that is in yellow. We hear these crazy stories about people thinking that they can approach a bison or a grizzly bear. I think mm-hmm. a lot of those people are people that are visiting the area. I, but I would assume most of the sort of locals have a better understanding of wildlife behavior. But I think that there's two two things in there. One is that it's our job as locals to help educate outsiders about wildlife and their behavior and how to properly enjoy being around wildlife in wild places while also respecting their space. And that's where, you know, a lot of time naturalists and guides really come into play. And, I'm, and I really love that part of my job as well. And then there's also a bit of the responsibility on people who are visiting a place where there's wild animals. It's really important to do your research and learn a little bit about wildlife and their behavior so that you can keep yourself safe and also keep the animals safe. And in Nepal, there's, a, there's definitely an effort of trying to educate people on how to be more safe in wild places so that they can avoid any sort of conflict. For instance, not wearing bright colors. Mm. Because, and a lot of times Nepalese people, they love their beautiful bright red saris. That's, that's a cultural you know, thing that they have there. And so that's a part of the education is, you know, when you're out in the forest, try not to wear bright red because that could sort of aggravate a rhinoceros or an elephant. So you want to wear, you know, greens or natural colors. And that's the same. That's pretty similar also in the greater Yellowstone. You know, let's try to wear more camouflaged colors and try to make sure that you're always aware of your surroundings and listening and looking for wildlife so that you can make sure that you maintain a safe distance. So it's pretty similar. It's actually very similar situations for which I'm I'm learning more and more as I spend more time all over the world. We have the same sort of challenges here as people around the world have, which is human populations are growing, so we're requiring more space. And also we need to respect our wild spaces so that they can keep help keep our environments healthy so that we can all thrive together. And we're just finding that balance of how can we respect wildlife and their space and also keep our communities safe. Mm -hmm. So true. It is a respectful balance for sure. Because could you imagine, well, I don't want to imagine, but just think if we did not have the grizzly bears and being able to see them play with their young when they come out of the cubs, you know, out of the den with their cubs and or the the new newly born bison that are out there in the fields mm-hmm. right now and the you know the breeding s- season or or even seeing the foxes play out there and 
because I've seen foxes around town or in my neighborhood here in town. And yeah, or you hear about the mountain lions up different areas of town. And yeah, it's concerning, but you're not going to stop doing what you're doing. But you know that they're there at there's someplace in the area. Yeah, I wouldn't ever want to live in a world where we wouldn't be able to share it with such incredible species. Mm-hmm. And it's such an honor to be able to share a world with all these incredible animals. And also, I'm because of that, I'm happy to try to find that balance and help other people learn about that balance, finding that balance. And with, with your work in documenting the conservation of wildlife through, through film and yeah. um, pictures, are, are you all film, just the filming, or are you taking still pictures as well? I do some. I do some photography uh, when I can, when I get a chance. It's hard when you're when you're filming. You kind of have to be fully dedicated to that. But mm-hmm. my fiance actually is also a wildlife photographer, and so he does a lot of the still photography while I'm doing the filmmaking. So we work together in that way. But both are are so important for helping people to appreciate our incredible biodiversity in remembering that it's, you know, it's such, it's a privilege to be able to be in these places around wildlife and getting to learn from them and share our world with them. And so that also, you know, with privilege comes responsibility. Jocelyn, what's your dream with the work that you do? Ultimately, my dream is to be able to share my inspiration to protect biodiversity around the world with as many people as possible. So my dream is to have a big platform where I can have many, many people learning about all of these incredible animals and the people who are working to protect them. I would really like to be, I would love if her wildlife was on Netflix, you know, next year. That would be the ultimate dream. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, platforms like that where we can actually share wildlife conservation on a on a big stage with many, many, many people. And um, and then the second part of that is having our younger generation feel really empowered to also be pursuing mm-hmm. uh, wildlife conservation in a big way. Um, so I'd love for all sorts of, you know, students and kids all over the world to see these films and feel empowered and excited to, to work in wildlife conservation as well. My wife and I were very structured or had limited the amount of screen time or TV that we would offer to our kids, especially to our first child, our son. But when we would turn on TV, we were very selective of what we would mm. put on the TV. So a lot of times, it were it, what we would put on for him were the nature shows, some of those wildlife shows. And he would learn about the animals and the earth and the sea. And that's what he I was watching so much. In, instead of Elmo or some of those other animated or puppet type of things. He was learning about the earth and he would sit there for hours. If we let him, we would limit how much time he would have, but that's what he would ask to see. Do you want to see this one? No, I saw it already. I want to see it. Finish up this one. This other one. 
And then did you notice that he was making connections with, he would see animals on the screen and then in the world and make that connection? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. For sure. And I mean, he's a very inquisitive young person and he'll, he'll pick up a book about wildlife or the ocean or big game animals of Africa or whatever. And we would always mess up buffalo versus bison. And we were corrected many, <laughs> many times that we were not looking at buffalo. We were looking at bison. Right. Yes. Good correction. I love that so much. He sounds amazing. I, I, that's ultimately the audience, you know, the people that I really want to inspire are young people who a lot of times, you know, we'll have those, we'll have young people on our tours or I'll meet them and they'll be talking about how they saw that one animal on that show and they love that animal so much. And so that, I mean, that ultimately is why I'm out here, you know, waiting in the mud for 12 hours a day to illustrate those incredible wildlife for people around the world to get excited about protecting our natural world. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing and what you are <laughs> creating. And I so look forward to seeing your project and for your social media while we're talking, share with us what your channels are so people can follow you and keep an eye out for her wildlife when it comes out. Yay, absolutely. And I'm so excited to connect with everybody too. So my my favorite social media platform right now is Instagram. And so I'm most active on there. And the handle is wild and stoked, hmm. S-T-O-K-E-D. And then uh, Jocelyn Stokes, I, we have, I have the Facebook and jocelynstokes.com is my website. But I'm so excited to connect with everyone. Everyone, feel free to send a message or say hi and follow along because I'm so excited to share these incredible stories. It's going to be very, very fun. Well, I am so grateful that there's people like yourself who are Aww. have the passion to share these stories and um, experiences of, of wildlife and to help preserve it to where many generations to come can enjoy these these animals and this nature that we have. And it's sad to think that there's some animals that used to be around that we'll never see them again. I know. Well, thank you so much for just being a part of this community. You know, it takes a community of people to keep reminding us that we need to be the voice that is going to help make sure that we don't lose any more animals. You got it. You're welcome. Thank you, Jocelyn. Yeah, thank you so much. To learn more about Jocelyn and her work through film and photography, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 237. Thank you, Michael, for keeping this podcast going through the marketing and the editing and production. Folks, if you want to do a podcast, reach out to Michael. He can help you out. And thank you to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. I appreciate you all listening. All of you fans who listen, share this podcast with your friends and family or somebody that you haven't connected with in a while. I do appreciate you sharing your time with me today. And cheers till next week for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.